We have been uh, in a series, and we're now in week three of a series that we've been calling Living Legacy, which is about how do we help to reproduce faith in the lives of other people, and particularly in the lives of the children that God has blessed us with. And so hopefully you've been learning uh, through this series, either as a parent or maybe even just as an older brother and sister in Christ that can help and encourage the, the kids in our community uh, to know, love, and serve Jesus with their whole lives. And I hope it's been beneficial for everyone uh, in, in that way. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, how do we practically begin to train up our kids using the means of everyday life. And so we've talked about roles, we've talked about goals, we've talked about uh, kind of using formal training a little bit, we've talked about how to get at the heart, we talked about what it means to, to train our kids up in Jesus. We're, what we're going to talk about today is mostly just all of life. How do you use life as the school, as it were, to help train up our kids? So we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, if you're going to follow along with us. It's on page 126 of the Bibles that we have um, in the seats uh, for you. And if you need a Bible, let me just remind you, if you don't have one, take one. So they're, they're a gift uh, to you. You can take it home and read it and, uh, and use it. So we need to know what it looks like for us to use all of life as the classroom because this is key. We need to remember this. Life is the, the discipleship program. Life is the primary program by which God grows us up to look more like Jesus. And so that doesn't mean to say that, that classrooms aren't bad, that they can't teach us things, or that our time together, like on Sunday morning, can't teach us things. All of those things are valuable, but they need to be valuable as a supplement to everyday life, not as a replacement for everyday life. And if we think that most of our discipleship is going to happen in a classroom or a program or, or, or something outside of life, then we're mistaken and we haven't read what Jesus says clearly enough. And we haven't looked at probably Deuteronomy 6, which is where we're going to be today. So we need to know, parents especially, how do we leverage every opportunity that God gives us to help them understand that all of life is about the one who created us and the one who saves us. So Deuteronomy 6, we're going to be uh, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So he's saying, worship God with everything that you are and everything that you've got. That's the point. We talked about worship before. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. So mom and dad, it starts with us. It starts with you. Those of you who want to have an impact in the lives of other people or you want to mentor young people in your life or in our community, which I hope that you consider doing, it starts with you. You can't... Uh, impact anyone or train anyone else in something that your heart has not been captured by already. And so if you want to teach people about Jesus, raise them up in Jesus to know Him and to love Him and to serve Him and to see all of life is about Him, they will not get that idea or how to do that unless it bears itself in you. It starts with us. It won't work any other way. So whatever your heart is captured by, whatever you most love, whatever thing most directs you and guides you and leads your life, that will be the thing that you worship and that will be the thing that's most loudly communicated to your kids. And your children are going to be able to tell. They will be able to tell what you love most. 
Every single time. Last week we talked about uh, how Jesus says that the mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. So the question that we have to consider first and foremost is what is our heart full of? Because if our heart is full of something else, then we will, we will speak something else and our kil- children will gain something else other than Jesus. But if it's full of Jesus, if it's full of Him, we'll speak about Him because it's what we love most. Because we love Him most. So who do you love most? You have to consider that question. Then he go, the, Moses goes on. He says, impress them, these commands, on your children. Impress them on your children, mom and dad. This is our role. And another way to say that is our children are going to be impressed with something. Right? Children will be impressed by something. Do what you can to make it this. And then he goes on, he says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what is he saying? What, I mean, how would you put it, maybe in your own words? You can respond to this. How, how would you say what you just heard us kind of you know, get a hold of, what, what would that look like for us? Yeah, every aspect of our life should point to who? Should point to Him. What's another way to say that? Yeah, and life does a lot of squeezing, doesn't it? <laughs> Not always Jesus, right? Yeah, we're a mixture of stuff, but hopefully, uh, increasingly over time, more and more of Him is coming out as life is squeezing us. That's what... That's why I say life is the, is the classroom in terms of discipleship. It's because it, over and over again, it's kind of wringing out what's in us, and hopefully as a sponge, as we get expanded again, we're, we're taking in more of Him and not other influences around us. So the next time we get squeezed out, it's more of Him. And then when the sponge expands, we, we take in more of Him. It's a good example, actually. See, what what the writer is saying here is that we are to be the kind of people that realize that God actually cares about every aspect of our lives. He cares about everything. And so if they only hear about Jesus when they come to a gathering of the church or during their Sunday school class or VBS or some kind of spiritual environment rather than everyday life, then then if that's the only time they hear about Him, then it's going to teach them to learn that Jesus is only supposed to be an aspect of their life rather than He is to be their life. And every aspect of it comes underneath Him and is informed by Him. See, all of their life and all of your life too is to be for Him and informed and empowered by Him and spent with Him. I love the way that Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, So whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, he wants everything. He wants it all to be about him. And by the way, it should all be about him because he's the giver of all good gifts. And so when you're hanging out at home, or when you're going to school, when you're playing games, when you're at the dinner table or the bedside, all of it should be a way of leading your kids to him. So parents, and even non-parents, we, we need to learn how to use every means possible as a way to talk about our Lord. 
And if you're going to do this, you're going to have to come to some kind of belief that there, is, there actually is a reason to talk about everything as being unto the Lord. That there is every time and every place and every season and everything that God gives us is ultimately about Him and ultimately points the way back to Him. So how do we do that? That's kind of the question that we want to wrestle with today. How do we go about doing that? And what I want to do is to try to give just as many examples as possible of different aspects and areas of life that we could start to consider how to shift those things towards Him rather than maybe letting those opportunities lie. The first thing I would say is this, is that we need to understand that that we need to intentionally engage in our kids' lives. We need to engage them. We have to have the belief that absolutely every moment has the potential to be a God conversation and to direct our kids to Jesus. And there are so many opportunities that God gives. I mean, we could talk about probably thousands today that God gives us every single day, moment by moment, that we could point the way to Him. One of the first ones that comes to mind for me is, is just creation itself. When you look around you at the world that we've been a part of, and we happen to be in a season uh, during the calendar year when it's, it's you know, pretty fantastic right now, right? I mean, it's the warm weather and the opportunities to get outside. And I, sometimes it's like super humid and you might not want to get outside and that's okay. But... Uh, you know, a lot of, of trips to the shore and on vacation. And hopefully we're, we're taking in all that God puts in front of us. Because here's, here's the reality of why we have been placed in a creation that, that is the way it is. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but the reason that creation is the way it is is actually found in Psalm 19. So this is what the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God. You want to know why? God puts so many billions and trillions of stars in the sky to declare what He's like. That's the reason. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. So if you want to know what God does, look at the skies. Day after day, they pour forth speech. I love that. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They're revealing things about who God is. They're it's, it's almost like you have an audio recording going on in the background of your house going, hey, this is what God's like. He's majestic and He's great and He's caring and He's loving and He's, he's intricate and He's detailed. Don't miss it. See, creation is the soundtrack that's supposed to be telling us all the time, don't forget what God is like. And the reason that it's proclaiming Him is because it's there to lead us actually to worship the God who made it all. And so what a great opportunity, right? What a wonderful opportunity we have to take our kids out into that creation and then point them to the One who made it. To show them how it declares what He's like. So let me just ask. We're going to have a conversation about this. What, what things speak most loudly to you when you look out into the creation about what God is like? I mean, just in your own experience. Yeah, the diversity of, of creation. The, like, I didn't know there were that many shades of orange. You know? The reason we know that there are so many shades of, of color within the world and diversity is because God made it so. And we as His creation get to discover those things over and over again. 
So, so here's the follow-up question. How does that point us to the one who created it? What does it say about him? What could be said about him? The most fantastic artist who's ever lived, right? If you want to see a beautiful watercolor, go out at dawn or at dusk, you know? Every other artist is following after that artist. They're, tr- they're just on the coattails of the, of the creator of the universe. Yeah, so he, he hasn't just created once, like way back, you know, in time before, but he continues to create each and every day. I mean, it, by his spoken word every morning, creation exists again. And so, I mean, think of the, the number of opportunities that we had to talk to kids about the creativity of our creator God. And, and by the way, how many of you have kids that love to create some kind of art? Drawing, painting, songwriting, storytelling, anything. Do you take those opportunities and go, the reason that you love being creative is because you're made in the image of a creative God. God is actually telling you what He's like as you create. Isn't that cool? So in in the way that you created that picture, in the way that you wrote that song or wrote that short story and, and used all the creative muscles that God is giving you, you're actually following after your God. He's the one who gave it to you. And so, guess what? Who do we give credit for those things? We can give credit to the one who deserves it. So you can use those as opportunities to go, God, thank you that you've given my kids this ability. I mean, the way that they use colors is amazing. Uh, You know, recently, Caleb uh, and, and our family, and Caleb's our oldest son, got a chance to go to the beach. And um, on the way home, we're like, hey, what did you love about the day? Well, I love, you know, the, the sand. I got to play in the sand. Isn't it cool? I mean, do you know how many grains of sand there are? Billions and billions of grains of sand. Isn't that cool? You know, God placed each and every one of them there. Do you know that he promises to, in his story to, to Abraham that he is going to make a nation out of him. They're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the, the sand on the seashore. And that out of that new nation, Jesus comes out. So, so God knows each and every particular piece of sand. And he picked one of them out called Jesus to save us because he knows each of us. God knows us like he knows the sand on the seashore. Isn't that cool? There's all kinds of opportunities around us if we would just slow down and engage what's happening. What else about creation speaks to you particularly? What's that? Birds? Yeah. (laughs) Certain kinds of birds, right? Yeah. What does Jesus say about birds? I think he said something about birds one time, right? Yeah, consider this... The sparrows, the birds of the field, they don't, they don't search. Like they, they aren't on an endless hunt for food. They actually, God takes care of them. So what is that supposed to teach us about his care? That God cares for us far more than he does the birds of the field. Therefore, we should not have to worry. Because God can both take care of us 
and he loves to take care of his children. And so if we're his kids, guess what? God will take care of us even more than the birds. And so that, that means that we can consider the birds and help our kids consider the birds. Uh, I, in, our, in our kitchen, we have like a little poster of different birds in North America. And, and, um, and it's fun to like try to pick out which ones they are and, and talk about the diversity of them. Each and every one of those opportunities is an opportunity to connect what they're experiencing with the God who created those things. I was thinking about this when um, I was thinking about my older son because he he absolutely loves puzzles. Like the you know one of the greatest things is for him to sit down and figure out a puzzle, and and it's amazing to me like the number of piece puzzle he's able to do even at this point, and he just loves to sit down and figure it all out and match things up and 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 bring it to order, and um, and so we were having a conversation one time as we were doing that and I was kind of helping him along. And um, I said, you really love puzzles, don't you? Yeah, I do. Do you know who else loves puzzles? The one who made you. God, has, God loves puzzles. You want to know the greatest puzzle he ever made? He made you. I don't know if you realize this. Psalm 139 says that God knit you together in, in your mom's womb. You know he was making a puzzle when he made you? And he knows how all the pieces fit together. And he, nothing was an accident in the way that he put you together. And so he knows exactly what you're like and he loves exactly what you're like. Isn't that cool? Parents, everything is an opportunity. We can do this all the time. And we need to be reminded that we can do this all the time. That all of creation and all expression is actually showing the one who gave us those gifts. Second, we can actually intentionally engage in their daily routines. And so um, many times, most times and most mornings, I get to be the one to drive our boys uh, to where they're going in the morning. And so most mornings I'll ask them, is there anything that I can pray for you today? Is there anything that you, you, you need? Anything that's going on? Anything that you're going to face today? Because God, I, here's what you need to know. God cares about you and he loves to help you and so he wants to be your help today and so is there anything you're concerned about anything that you feel like you need help with and and most of the time it's the the question that like gets the biggest response is that is there anyone that you have a hard time loving today is there anybody that's been like that hasn't treated you real well that you need to have extra grace for and throughout the school year it continued to be like one student in particular you know that was like the, the one that was like, well, he does this, and he does that, and he does this. Like, as soon as I ask him, like, is there anyone that you have a hard time being a friend to? It's like, you know, there's one that gets, like, the brunt of all of the, you know, the stuff. And mom and dad, and rather than actually go, well, you know, let's try harder next time. Maybe we can love him. Or, or just try to ignore him, you know. Or, or, or don't let it bother you so much. Or play with other kids. No, those those moments of them revealing their heart is actually an opportunity for you to meet their heart with the gospel. So a different way of thinking might be to say, yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of people that, that I've had a really hard time loving. And, um, and I'm so thankful that when I think about them, 
God often reminds me that I was someone who had a whole big track record against him. And if, if, if God lined up all the ways that Daddy missed you know, the point and treated people badly and shook my finger at him and threw rocks and didn't play nice, man, God could like just, he wouldn't want to be with me forever. But do you know what God did? God doesn't hold those things against Daddy. He actually took that whole big list, and you know who he gave it to? He gave it to his son, who didn't do any of those things. And so he just gave the whole list to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, you're going to be the one to take care of all this. And Jesus said, I'll do it. And so you know what? I, I, I get the opportunity to forgive people because, you know what? Daddy's been forgiven much. I had a whole list of things, and Jesus forgave me of all of those things. And so you know what that helps me to do? It helps me to love other people even when I don't want to do that. Do you think God can help you to do that too? See, it changes the way that we speak to our kids in their daily routine. And then pray for them that God would actually do those things. Point them to the one that can actually change their hearts and show them that God can change their hearts. Or you might remind them about who they are. You might remind them of their identity in Christ. One of the questions I love uh, to ask is, is, who are you today? Who are you today? I'll often ask this of myself in the morning. Who are you today? Do you ever ask yourself that? Here's the thing. I, I think all of us wake up every single morning asking that question over and over again. Who am I today? And the answer for us should be that we are children of God, we are, we are disciples of Jesus, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit to live a different life. And so every morning, mom and dad is an opportunity to remind your kids of who they are because they're going to walk into a world that's going to tell them they are someone they are not. They're going to, tell the, they're going to hear from the world that they are only as good as the things that they can contribute to the world. That they are only as good as what other people tell them they are. That they only have enough power of what they can muster because it's up to their skill and their experience and their duty to do it. And that is a lie. It's a lie. And that lie needs to be countered with the truth in order for them to be able to live differently in the world. They need to understand who they are. So we need to teach them who they are. And then when they get home, engage their day. So so prepare them on the front end, and then when they return at the end of the day, ask some, some basic questions. How was your day? What was a highlight? What was hard? What did you learn? Who did you play with today? Who didn't you not want to play with today? What was the silliest thing that happened today? Did anyone say anything weird today? Did you learn any new words? (laughs) It's a key one, right? You never know what will come out (laughs) when you ask them that question. Um, there's actually a really helpful article, um, and I forget where it was, but it was like 21 ways to ask your kids about their day without asking how was school today. Really helpful just to kind of get at it from a bunch of different angles. And I remember I asked uh, Caleb if there was was anyone said anything weird today. And um, because I had noticed that he started to say, oh, my God, all the time. And so I'm like, where did that come from? Hey, did anybody... Did, did anybody say that today? Oh, yeah. And then he's, 
telling me about a story and, um, and the fact that somebody was saying, oh, oh my God, like as part of what they were doing. And, and so there's an opportunity, right, to, to talk about the things of God. And so we say, and it would be so easy to go, hey, we don't say that. We don't say that around here. It's not a good thing to say. Um, but is that, that's going to help them maybe not to say that kind of thing, but it won't help them to know why. So in trying to maybe engage his heart a little bit, I said, hey, I, I don't know if you realize this, but we're, we're not supposed to actually use God's name for common things because God isn't really common. I said, here's, here's what happens. When we use God's name for, like, everyday common stuff, we start to think of him as, like, a common, just like one of us. And the truth is, he isn't one of us. He, he's majestic and he's holy. And, and because of those things, he wants us to set, set apart his name and not use it except for when we're addressing him or when we're talking about how great he is. Because that will actually teach us not to be in relationship with him rightly. So we need to know that about God. And so God doesn't want to condemn you for, for saying those things. Like, and I'm not going to punish you for saying those things. It's okay. But we're, we want to try to use God's name the way that God would like it to be used. Just the way that you would like your name to be used. You wouldn't want your name to be used in a way that you didn't want before, right? If somebody took your name and used it for some way that you, you wished that they didn't, you'd, you'd want them to stop doing that, right? Well, let's... Let's consider God better than ourselves and let's love him in the way that we use his name. We need to ask our kids what they're being taught, mom and dad, as well. And the reason being because not everything our kids are taught in this world will be true. It's like the understatement of the morning, right? And so we need to ask them when they're taught something, is this true? Is it in line with what we believe, is, or is it different than that? I mean, parent, what, what kinds of things have, have your kids been taught recently that just comes to mind for you that isn't in line with the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is? Can you think of an example? Yeah, so just follow your own heart. Johnny, <laughs> little boy, little girl, because your heart will never lead you astray. No, actually, the, the scriptures say that the heart is wicked above all things. It actually seeks its own good rather than the things of God. And so if we listen to our own heart and let our feelings and emotions guide us in everything that we do, we will actually be led off the track of God's good intention for our lives. We'll be led away from his wisdom. And yet kids are taught that each and every day. Just do what feels good, do what feels right to your own heart. It's horrible wisdom not wisdom at all, not that comes from God. So we can intentionally engage in their daily routine. We can also intentionally engage in their activities and sports. So think about, like, how many kids, how many of you are either kids or have kids in sports or activities? What about those activities or sports is not kind of about what our culture teaches about those things is not in line with the gospel? What's leading them astray as being part of those things? Not that they're bad. It's a good thing to be active and part of sports and creative and all those things. 
But what are they being taught in the middle of those things that might actually not be in line with where we want to lead them to go? Yeah. Everything is about winning or advancing, right? So it's about winning the game or it's about getting to the travel team or it's about making it into varsity or it's, it's all about you and your personal advancement or your personal betterment or your victory, right? Carol, what were you going to say? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and because it's all about winning and we want to make our f- kids feel good about winning, it's, it, there's, there became a tension within the sports world where it's like we've, we understand it's all about the individual and all about winning, but now all these kids that don't win feel bad about themselves, so now everyone's a winner, right? And so we just, we, like, everyone gets a trophy, everyone gets a prize because it's all about winning and it's all about you. I don't know if you realize that, but, but uh, that's actually antithetical to the gospel. The reason that your kids and mine, if, if we're believing rightly and training them rightly in the ways of Jesus, is not to win or to lose or to feel like they won even if they lost. It's that they would glorify God by the way that they played. It's so that they would enjoy Him as they play. So as they're using their physicality and being competitive and doing their very best, they would go, thank you, God, that you gave me legs to be able to run and do this. And thank you that you're teaching me about what you're like through the environment of being part of a sports team or being in a race or whatever the case might be. Because ultimately it's not about me. So our kids are being taught a message completely opposite from that as they're in that environment. So we need to engage them. We can engage them around the dinner table. And I, I know, parents, I'm like lucky if I get my kids to sit down for five minutes at the dinner table, and that's a stretch, you know? Um, but Jesus used the dinner table as a means for communicating the things of God to bring people back to relationship with Him. That's why He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he actually sat down, slowed down, and spent time with people to teach them about the kingdom of God over a meal. And so parents, we can do that too. So if your kids are old enough, maybe you know, break out a story from your storybook Bible and have a conversation over it. Spend time praying over the meal and praising God for, for giving it to you. Give Him the credit for it. See, every moment that you have is a a moment that we have to point people to Jesus, to praise Him, to give Him credit. And it all matters. It all builds up into an opportunity for us to lead our kids. And even non-parents, I hope that you take the moments with the kids of this church family to do the same. Use the moments that you get with kids within our family or within your community group to do the exact same thing. There are, ki- there, there are people downstairs with our kids this morning, and, and I hope they are doing the same thing. Taking those opportunities to lead them to Jesus. We're, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a couple weeks um, when it comes to actually try, getting people to be mentors for some of our middle schooler and high schoolers. And so... Um, I just want to let you know here, you could have a huge impact in someone's life by leading them to Him. And so consider that. We're going to talk about that more in detail uh, in the coming weeks. Second, so intentionally engage. And second, 
pause and reflect. Pause and reflect. Actually slow down and reflect on the things that are coming into your life. One of the things that we need to pause and reflect on are the messages that our kids are receiving through the media that they participate in. Because they're getting messages through movies and television and songs and commercials and, and every other thing that comes our way. And so don't just passively take the messages that our media is giving out without actually critiquing those things and seeing if they're in line with the gospel or not. And that's not to say anything against any of those things. I love music, I love television, I love movies. So I'm not saying don't participate in those things or to keep your kids from doing the same. But when you do those things, make sure that you're reflecting on them because here's the deal. There are aspects of everything that comes into your, your, your understanding through movies and television and the rest that will actually reflect the true story of God. I don't know if you realize this about God, but God actually is, has been writing a story from the beginning of time. And every story that comes after the story that he's been writing reflects the greater story in some way or form. So every movie has elements of God's story in it. Every television show has pieces of the story embedded in it. Every song does. But there, in other ways, where they're, if they're not in line with Jesus, they're going to distort the story. And so we need to know how do they reinforce the story and how do they distort it and can we have a conversation over those two things. And so when you watch a movie with your child or, or for that matter with your friend or someone that you're mentoring, Take them out afterwards and ask them, hey, what did you see? What was the message, you think, that it was trying to convey? What did you like about it? What about the characters in the story remind you of Jesus and who he is? What about them doesn't seem like him? So let me ask, what, what, uh, in terms of television shows, what do your kids watch? Everything. <laughs> What are they watching these days? Yeah, anything on Netflix, right. It's the weirdest thing. My, my, my uh, older son, we went on vacation last year to a house that didn't have Netflix. All it had was cable. And so we turned on the Disney Channel because he wanted to watch one of his favorite shows. And it wasn't on for two and a half hours. And he's like, what gives? Like, why can't I watch Curious George now? You just hit the button and it plays. I'm like, no, you have to watch all the other shows you don't want to watch to get to the one you do. That's the way television used to work. <laughs> it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> what are they watching, though? My Little Pony. Very odd parents. Fairly. Is it fairly or fairy? Fairly. Okay. Yeah. What else? Caillou? Oh, what an awful show. Oh my goodness. Talk about all kinds of ways to talk, to, to talk about, you know, the, the fruit of sin in our lives. <laughs> if you want multiple opportunities, watch Caillou. If you haven't watched it, just trust me. <laughs> yeah, Kim. Yeah, right. Right, yeah, they're completely independent. And if a parent does show up, what's often true about them? They're like the dumbest people in the world. 
They don't have no idea what's going on, right? And fathers are the worst. Yeah. So, so let me use that as an example because it's a great one. What are some of the conversations that you could have over that kind of show? If you just said, hey, we're going to watch this together. I'm not saying, you know, don't watch it. I, I, there's a message there, but there's an opportunity as well. So what, I mean, what are some of the conversations that could result about that? What are some of the kinds of questions you could ask if that's the, what the message that the show is conveying to your kids? Yeah, get them to compare and contrast so they don't just take in, but they're actually critiquing it with real life. Because otherwise they'll think it's real life, right? Well, I mean, particularly around the maybe the absentee mom and dad and that kids get to make all their own decisions. It, mom and dad, is that a good thing for our kids to experience? No. So how do we communicate to them that, that that's not maybe the best thing for them to do? Yeah, and a lot of the brokenness in our world is, is actually, like, particularly in, the, in cities, like in, I know this is true in Philadelphia, having lived there for uh, a number of years, that a lot of the brokenness that goes on in the city is due to fam- broken families where the dad left years ago and the mom has to work in order to provide for the family and there are no parents around. And so the kids essentially raise themselves, which leads them to do exactly the same thing. And you get generation after generation of brokenness when mom and dad are, are out of the home. It's not good news. And our kids need to know that, right? And, and talk about the influence of, of our good heavenly father. And the, and the way God knows our kids' best interests because he's placed them under the care of a mom and dad who love them and who teach them about the ways of life. So, so it's not good news for them to have mom and dad removed from the equation. It actually leads them to destruction. Good news for them is to have a loving, caring mom and dad lead them lovingly to Jesus and who are invested and involved in their life. So you could talk about, hey, what does a godly mom and dad look like? Every time the mom and dad like shows up in the equation, it seems like they're the dumbest ones in the show. Is that what like a real mom and dad should look like? Is that what your mom and dad look like? That might be a scary question. <laughs> what is it what what might a good mom and dad look like, son? What might a good mom and dad lead you to? Yeah, rather than doing the you can't watch that. You, right. Because our, our tendency is to say, this is good and you have complete license, or this is bad and you have complete uh, you know, lack of ability to watch it. Rather than to see that most things are probably somewhere in between, and we need to, as parents to actually be engaged whether or not we think it's communicating a good message or not. Yeah, don't, don't teach them to hide from the world. Teach them to lovingly live in it with the power of the gospel, right? Liz, what were you going to say? Yeah, and that, that's what could happen if we just label everything as bad and wrong that, they, that their friends are going to take in. So they're going to probably go to school. Their friends are going to have watched the latest movie that's come out, and they're going to go, I'm obviously missing out on something because I can't watch the same movie as they are because we are Christians, right? 
And, and oftentimes that's the way we taught our kids is to keep out of the world rather than what Jesus prayed is for us to be in the world with the power of Jesus teaching us how to live in it differently, right? So teaching us to, to be able to receive media and then critiquing it and going, that is not in line and this is in line and this all teaches me about what God is like. Yeah, and there's, and there's a lot, I think, mom and dad, that we can actually reinforce so that they are able to discern things that, that God would want them to know about himself and that God can use the media that they take in to do it. And so that's why I'm not saying all media is bad. Just, you know, uh, try to stay away from it. And there are things that we have to be discerning about and go, the, the, the overwhelming majority of the messages they're going to receive through this are going to lead them to bad things. It's okay to say, as a mom and dad, no, I don't think it's okay for you to watch that. I think it's inappropriate. So I'm not saying that either. So, so we need to hear that message as well. But we need to be discerning over the things that are taking kind of coming into their lives. Pause and reflect on what's coming in. Last is this. So intentionally engage, pause and reflect. Third, remember and rest. Teach your kids how to really rest in the Lord and remember His grace. I love how Deuteronomy goes on and it says this about the land that they're about to go into. So uh, Moses is reminding them about what life is going to look like in this new land that they're about to take. So, and, and he's reminding them, you weren't the first people to live in the land that God's about to give you. So the, there are already cities built and everything, and they're going to essentially march right in, and God is going to give the whole thing to them as a, as a means of grace. And so I love it, how explicitly he puts it in, in verse 10. He says, so when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land, uh, a, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. In other words, when you enjoy everything you did nothing to get because God was the one who gave it all to you, and then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. So what is he saying? He wants you to look around at everything and give the credit to the one who deserves it for giving it to you. So they're walking into a land that they did nothing to do to get and God's going... Hey, don't forget that God was the one that gave it to you. Don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that you somehow, through your strength and your ingenuity, somehow gained the, this gift from God, or you were good enough to, to sway His hand to give it to you. No, it's grace. It's all grace. And family, we're to do the same thing. I love one of the ways that Israel started to do this from day one is they set up something called a remembrance stone. And so uh, Moses, he doesn't get the opportunity to go into this land, but he had been training up a young man named Joshua who was going to lead the people from that day forward. 
and, and he had been training him in these very things. And, and you know that Joshua was listening because as soon as they get into the land, so under Joshua's leadership, here's what God does. God parts the, the Jordan River for them so that they can walk through on dry ground. And the first thing that Joshua commands the people to do was to take 12 stones from the very bottom of the river and then pile them up on the riverbanks in a stone of remembrance so that they wouldn't forget what God had done. So this is what he says in Joshua 4. He says to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, hey, what do these stones mean? Like, where do they come from? Tell them this. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what He had done to the Red Sea when He dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And you think, well, why do we need stones to remember this? And why did God do it in the first place? Like, the Jordan River isn't that long or that wide. You could get across it in a boat or on a raft. I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult. So why did God do it? This is why. He did it so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So why do they set up these stones? So that they would never, ever, ever forget that God was the one who saved them from the land that they were in before. And so where did Joshua get this idea from? He got it from Moses, his spiritual parent. Because that's what Moses had taught him in Deuteronomy 6. Don't ever forget what God has done to bring us to where we are today. Later on in the story, you know that this, this idea of stones of remembrance actually got passed on from generation to generation because a man named Samuel comes along and when Israel secures a victory, he says, we're going to set up a stone of remembrance and we're going to call it an Ebenezer, which is a stone of help to remember that God was the one who gave us the victory. It wasn't us. And so parents, it's, it's our responsibility and our opportunity to actually give God credit for the things that He gives into our lives. That we can stop and remember and teach our kids to rest in what God has given. It's our job. We're to set up reminders everywhere. And and that's not supposed to be like piles of rocks. okay? But make Ebenezer's, make stones of remembrance out of everything. Remind your kids of God's grace so that they don't forget. I mean, there's so many things that we could do that with. Um, one of the things for us uh, is, is uh, photo albums. Or now like, you know, photo folders is sort of the, the new way to do it, I guess. But we even like to print them out into little albums so that we can give uh, our kids so that they can flip through and remember certain things. And one of the photo albums that we have that we've had for a number of years is a photo album of Caleb's birth. And uh, the very first picture of it is a picture of when he was 5 pounds, 10 ounces with a feeding tube in his mouth in the NICU on about day six when we weren't able to take him home. And we had to wait. And we had to pray. And we had to ask God to grow our, our boy and to help him to learn how to even feed himself because he wasn't able to do it because he was six weeks early. 
And so whenever we pull out that album or whenever he finds it in his drawer of toys and looks at it, we go, hey, who is that? That's me. Hey, why do you have that tube in your mouth? Because I didn't know how to eat yet. Isn't it amazing? I mean, look at you now. You're 45 pounds and 40 inches tall. Look how big you are and how strong you are and how you're able to run and how you're able to eat and how you're able to enjoy life. Isn't it amazing what God has done for you? Let's not forget his grace. God, thank you that you gave Caleb life and that you continue to sustain it today. You're going to continue to work in him and grow him. And please don't let us give credit to absolutely anything but you because you're the one who did it. It's a stone of remembrance for our family. We can do this with all kinds of things. We could set up a a prayer journal and then write down all the things that we're praying for throughout the year. And then when you go on vacation, take out that journal and look through it and go, wow, look at all the ways that God answered that prayer over and over and over and over again this year. Aren't you great? So when you stop and pause and remember and reflect from your year, don't just pause and rest from activity, pause and reflect on the things that God has done. Um, one of the things I, I love, and now Aaron and Steph uh, have done this, is that they set up email accounts for their kids. And so they, they email them like when they think of them or when they, they have certain moments in their life and they want to remember those things. They just punch out a little email and send it to them so that when they're older, they can go through that list of things and see the the grace of God in their life over 18 years before they get the account. Cool idea. We can do that with our homes. We can set up our homes as a a stone of remembrance and teach our kids that the reason that we have a roof over our heads and beds to sleep in is because of the grace of God. Remember, we had the storm recently, and um, our neighbors came over like right before the storm happened, and they're like, yeah, like because we're new to the neighborhood and we have a lot of really tall trees. She's like, yeah, you might want to go down in the basement when there's a heavy thunderstorm. We're like, oh, okay, this is serious. Got to go down in the basement um, because, you know, a tree might fall on the house. So we went down to the basement during the storm and we set up a blanket right at the, because our, our basement isn't finished yet or anything. So we set up a blanket right at the base of the stairs. And I sat on, on the blanket with my two boys just holding them through the storm. And now I have to be sure that every time we go down into the basement again to get a toy or or whatever the case might be, to point at that spot and go, hey, do you remember when we had that storm and Daddy held you guys? Do you know who was really protecting us through the storm? It was God. Can you do a good job of that? Let's remember him every time we see it. Parents, you can make Ebenezer's. You can make them out of everything. You can take the moments that happen in your life of your family and teach them about God in a way that will actually leave an imprint on them for the rest of their life. God is giving you those opportunities all the time if you'll take advantage of them. And the greatest Ebenezer that we have, the greatest stone of remembrance that we could ever get is the tables that we have this morning. Because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a way to set up a reminder so that you'll never forget my grace in your life. And I know this morning, just even as we talk about these things, I'm trying to paint maybe a fuller picture of what this looks like from day to day, but I know as I do that, there, 
the tendency for all of us, and this is myself included, because I just need to let you know, I don't perfectly take advantage of all these opportunities. And so many of the things I'm even telling you this morning are ways that I want to grow in doing this with our kids. Because the tendency is for all of us to say, you know what, I'm not doing this well. And if that's the case, we might have to be reminded that God is gracious. And that your kids' futures are not determined by how great you are, but by how great He is. And so lead them to Him and away from you is their hope. And I need to remember to do this too. And you might say, well, I mean, in light of all of that, I still don't know how to do this well. And that's okay too, because if, if there's anyone who knows how to make the most of everyday life and use it to teach people about what God is like, guess who it is? It's Jesus. And so when we come to the table this morning, we don't come as experts, we come as learners, going, Jesus, I need you to fill my kids. I need you again, because I can't do it my own. I need you to empower me. You're the only one who can do this well all the time. Your whole life you made much of God. And so I'm coming to the table this morning saying, Jesus, I need you again. See, the truth is there's no possible way that we're going to make much of God in every day without Jesus doing it through you. So it might mean that you need to come to Him and turn to Him again. It might mean that you've forgotten some things about Him and the way that He wants to empower you. And if that's the case, come to the tables. It might mean that you need to turn to Him for the very first time, and that's okay too. If that's you, come to the tables. The truth is there's no way to give Him to your kids unless you first give yourself to Him. So if that's you, come and experience Him. I was talking with a a parent this week uh, whose kids are grown up, and, and they were kind of lamenting over this. And they were saying, if only... I was taught some of this stuff at the beginning. Everything would have been different. I mean, it it would have changed the way that I parented. And so if that's you, just know that you can come to the table saying, Jesus, you poured out your blood for all of my mistakes, all of my ignorance, all of the ways that I never led them to you, and you paid for every single last one of them, so I don't need to feel shame or guilt. I can feel grace and acceptance. Jesus saying, it's okay, I was... I was forgiving you from the cross even when you didn't know you needed it. And so I've covered it with my grace and so you can come to me and I'll forgive you. So I just want to remind you, family, no matter where you're at this morning, you get to come. You get to come and experience His grace again. And you get to experience Him leading you anew again. And we all need that, including me. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you show us the way to the Father. Thank you that that you demonstrated a life uh, underneath his care that communicated all the ways of what he's like. And so we need you this morning. We need your forgiveness of all the ways that we've messed up. We need your leadership in all the ways that we need to move forward with your power and your strength rather than our own. So I pray, Jesus, that you'd come and meet us in our time of need. Would you do this for your glory? Amen.